Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uktana, and today we'll be working with your Akashic Relationship book. One of the easiest ways to get the 411 about someone and what they can and do mean to you. There are a number of ways to get information in the Akashics concerning any given relationship. In a soul book, there are seven primary sections, and the relationship map takes up the entirety of section six. It shows all of the past, current, and possible relationships a soul can have, and gives access to detailed information about the individuals involved. There's also the current life section, which is the fifth in a soul book, and has relationship information spread throughout, as this informs quite a bit of what has, is, and could be going on in the person's life. There's also the past life section in the very beginning, where we can see who we've interconnected with in previous incarnations. Beyond the soul book, there are the actual Akashic contracts between individuals. These give deep dives on the reasons why a relationship is happening, what is intended versus what is actually coming to pass, and the plans for how things may go in the future. If the two people are part of the same soul group, then there will also be notes about the relationship in the soul group record. I recently posted a podcast episode dedicated to what information is in a contract, the unique way they present information, and some of the techniques necessary for reading them, which can be complicated and effort-intensive. All of these resources have the potential to be immensely informative, but in practice are often fairly useless. This is because to read data of this nature requires a clear head and an open mind, both of which are often missing when it comes to topics where we have a deep emotional investment. In other words, to be able to read any of this material, we need to be objective and not care about the outcome. However, when it comes to relationships, The primary reason we go looking for information is we can't be objective, and we're absolutely intent on our desired outcome. Luckily, there's another resource available which is geared towards helping us with this exact situation, your Akashic Relationship Book. Unlike your soul book, this isn't located in the Akashic Library. Instead, it's kept tucked away in your Akashic Room. Every embodied person has their own Akashic room. This is a place which is only for them and reflects the physical life they're currently living. Each object, color, and dimension are a reflection of the individual and hold a tremendous amount of information which can help them live the life they desire and to their fullest potential. While you're living an embodied life, your Akashic room presents a comprehensive model of your current self and who you are becoming. It represents the entirety of you, from birth to the present day, your goals yet to be achieved, the dreams you strive for, your hopes, and the opportunities which are still forming. This not only reflects your current emotional and physical aspects, but much deeper and more overarching themes, such as how you perceive yourself in leadership roles, in community and social aspects, how you engage in self-care, 
what you are or are not becoming in relationships, who you are in both your family of origin and of choice, and so on. Each item presented is an expression of some aspect of you. Your room can teach you deep insights into why you perceive things in a certain way, what a relationship has to teach you, why a pattern of behaviors or events is ongoing, what things you're holding deep inside where they cannot be seen, even by you, and anything else you wish to know about you. This is a safe place where no one can come unless you invite them. It's a place where you can choose to have conversations with the guides who support you in embodied life, where you can talk candidly with your animal guides, where you can practice various spiritual techniques or open yourself to in-depth connection with objects or books. No matter how they're furnished or whether they're furnished at all, most Akashic rooms are composed of five different sections or areas. Casual seating or living area, dining room, bedroom, workshop, and open or available space. Each area has a specific focus, but also multiple uses. These allow us to reconnect with and even explore our essential nature while simultaneously helping us manifest our sole purpose and best life. How these areas are arranged within the room is in some ways indicative of the individual's personality, as well as how they choose to interact in the world. What is most important or most comfortable to the person will usually be central to the room and where they spend the most time when they're there. Areas less comfortable or used will be towards the entry door. Those most pertinent will be towards the far door, which gives access to other areas in the Akashics. Something important to keep in mind is each item in your room is not only a symbol, but a source of information. Like a book, computer, or tablet, each one is full of information, all experiential, all of which will unfold like a 3D movie or even like a direct injection into your consciousness if you open up to this level of connection and interaction. To do this, simply place your hands on the item. This includes furniture, curtains, wall hangings, structures like fireplaces, and so on. Hold the item or place your hands on it, then focus your attention on it like you would someone having a conversation with you. Look the object in the eyes, as it were, to show you're listening. Unlike a soul book where you come to ask a question or any other informational book where you ask to be able to read the information, an item only requires your attention, which is the Akashic equivalent of saying, Hi, how are you? The items in your room have meaning, but not only as symbols. Students sometimes seek to create quick or surface-level labels for things in their room and move on. This represents my sister, this is my work, this means I'm struggling with finances, and so on. The quick labeling of things allows for a feeling of competency and control, because once we've named a thing, we think we know all there is to know. However, just as you are a complicated and complex being, with many facets which are constantly in movement or in the process of developing, your room reflects this complexity and depth. Each item, when touched, will begin to unfold the wisdom, meaning, and interconnectivity it holds. A cursory inspection of any room 
will provide a wealth of surprises and access to transformative insights. Along with all this is usually a bed for personal reflection and soul investigation. This is where records concerning the practicalities of a person's spiritual path are examined, where information concerning major life decisions is presented, and where new aspects of an embodied life can be unfolded for those ready to transform. It's also the space most often used for reading information about the higher self, as well as aspects of the soul's beingness outside of embodied life. There's often a small table or end table situated near the bed in an Akashic room. While this could be like our current aesthetic of a bedside table, it usually presents as in harmony with the bed or other furniture. This means it could be an antique washing stand, which has been converted for storage, a dressing table with attached mirror, or a small bookcase. I've even seen one which was steampunk in nature, with mechanisms lifting trays filled with liquor bottles and carafes. The table may be near the head of the bed, but could also be by the foot or a bit to the side, so you may need to do a bit of exploration. In or around the table will be what appears to be a leather-bound book or journal of some kind. Unlike a soul book, which is massive, ancient, leather-bound, and often held together with huge piano hinges, this book will be the same size or slightly larger than a regular hardback. This is the individual's relationship book. A relationship book is much more like an e-reader or tablet than a physical book. It provides a means for the individual to request information about a relationship and have the information presented in a form which is easy to access and absorb. When the person asks to see information about someone they're having a relationship with, whether a parent, sibling, child, or a significant other, the book will pull up all the relevant details. How the information is requested informs what and how the book will present things. If asked simply to show information about the relationship, the book will sort through everything relevant, then produce whatever is the highest priority for the reader to know in the first few pages. This usually presents like an adult version of a child's pop-up book, where vignettes open up and unfold so they can be viewed three-dimensionally. It's not uncommon for there to be several pages which work as a sort of overview or summary of major relationship aspects. So opening the first two pages shows the main gist of the relationship, the next two will have an aspect which is highly influential to the reader's life, then the next two an issue which needs work, and so on. Beyond the opening pop-up pages are what I term portals. They are pages which look like they have pictures on them, but the pictures are actually doors or access points where the reader can enter into the information, somewhat like putting on a virtual reality helmet. Focusing on the picture allows the person to enter into it. While nothing can be changed or manipulated, the reader is able to witness the events unfolding in real time. Each page refers to pertinent information about the relationship. This might reveal outside influences which are intruding on things, underlying motivations which have gone unspoken, or aspects of the other or the reader which have gone unexamined and yet are deeply influential in various situations. Asking a specific question about the relationship will change how things are presented. 
If there's a single clear answer, then usually a picture portal is provided on the first page, which not only gives the answer, but also allows the reader to dig in more fully. If the answer requires explanation or is complicated, then the pop-up form might come first or even a hologram-style visual which floats above the page. Portal pages may follow or the pop-ups themselves might convert to portals after initial viewing. If the answer is no or the question is posed in such a way it's impossible to answer, such as being too vague or broad, then the relationship book will open with blank pages. In this case, I recommend closing the book, rephrasing the question, then opening it again. Requests which consist mainly of whatever is for my best and highest good, or I leave it in your hands, or I give it up to God, fall into the too general category. I once had a group of guides point out to me that best and highest good is such a broad category for each individual soul It includes both world peace and tuna sandwiches. While the beings who work with us are clear on what is for our best and highest good in all aspects of our embodied life, it's important to remember this very key item. They are not responsible for it. It is good to acknowledge our understanding and perception of what is involved in any given situation is limited due to our being embodied and living in linear time. This can be acknowledged by adding and or whatever is for my best and highest good at the end of a request. However, making this statement the meat of the request will usually get a refusal from a relationship book, as it simply has no means of deciding what or how that much information should be presented. Being specific is good, but overly specific can also bring on blank pages. Specifics allow us to state what is non-negotiable about our question. For example, if we're trying to manifest a new job, it's important to state what kind we want, where we want it, what time frame, how much salary and benefits, etc. This way, we don't waste our time and whoever is helping us isn't wasting theirs by sorting through options which don't fit our needs. However, being too specific can make it impossible to get an answer. We see this in unrequited love. One person wants to be loved, but the solution they've chosen is this one particular person. It can be someone they know, someone they've heard of, someone who's left them, or someone they've only seen once on TV. Whoever it is, it's the only answer, as far as they're concerned. And so they make every request about this one person and the life together which could be. Because this person can't be commanded to be available, to be what the requester needs, or to notice the request at all, there's never a direct answer. Relationship books are one of the easiest ways to find out if you've had a past life with someone, if the contract between you has to do with soul groups, or if you had pre-planned the connection at all. They can help you decipher why you chose your parents, whether or not what happened in and to your family was planned or influenced by free will choices, and what was the intended outcome of your childhood versus the lived experience of it. They can help you understand the full spectrum of purpose and lessons for a given event or lead you to realize there weren't any at all. There are some things which a relationship book can't help with, however. As the future isn't set or prescripted, and everyone has free will in each moment, 
there's no way they can tell you what the future is for any given relationship. They can't say how long a loved one will live. They can't say how long a loved one will live or how well. They aren't able to say whether or not someone will leave, although they can point to whether or not they intend to do so. They can't determine ahead of time if a relationship will last, be good, provide happiness, or be the solution to your needs and desires. In the end, those things are up to you and the other. A relationship book also has little to no information concerning a relationship which does not yet exist. It can't tell you if you're going to meet the one and live happily ever after, although it may be able to show you whether or not this is possible. If your questions concern someone you'd like to connect with, it can tell you whether or not a contract already exists and what little information is written in it, but not much more than that. For questions about the possibilities for connecting with someone and what might come from the connection, it's better to utilize a problem-solving box, which is something I've described in a bit of detail in a previous podcast. So, Each of us has a relationship book which can give us insights into our relationships and help us navigate through them. The question is, do you want to know the answers badly enough you're willing to go find them? And that's all the time we have this week. Next week, we'll be talking about moving beyond releasing what no longer serves, which can often lead to emptiness, and into reclaiming what people have tried to take away as well as retraining old coping mechanisms to create new gifts. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a minute to show it some love on iTunes. Your comments are also appreciated. Thanks. Bye.